friends, if you notice that your church experience has changed since the pandemic, our guest today shares what he's hearing from pastors, the resources his organization is creating to help combat it, and why it's time to return to the basics. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 339, Tom S. Rayner and the Changing American Church. friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is exciting. It'll be a great episode. I know we're going to have a good conversation. Before we j- jump into that, let me just remind you, uh, if it's your first time listening, hey, just listen, have a, have a great time. But if you've been around for a while and you feel like you're led to just contribute a little bit to the podcast, you just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. There's a Patreon button there, which is just a way for you to just contribute a little bit. So a lot of people do $5. Some of you do that. I appreciate that. Uh, if you want to, that would be helpful. Or the next best thing, you can leave a review or tell somebody, tell a friend, somebody at your church or uh, in your circle or in your family, hey, I've been listening to the show halfway there. I think you should listen to it. This would be a great episode for uh, you to share as well. That's the best compliment you can give us for sure. Thank you for doing it. All right. Hey, let's dive straight into our conversation. I'm excited to have this conversation. So our guest, he's a founder and CEO of Church Answers. He's got nearly 40 years of ministry experience, and he spent a lifetime committed to the health and growth of the local church, including I've got one of his books sitting here on my desk and his latest book as well, which is called I Believe. We'll talk all about that. Our guest is Tom Rainer. Tom, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. Always great to be at a place where there's so many smiling faces and welcoming people. So thank you. I am uh, grateful that you're here and to just uh, talk to you. We already made a connection to one of our previous guests, Chris Martin. So it sounds like you, you Chris worked with him. rocks. Chris absolutely <laughs> rocks. And yeah, uh, did you interview him on the podcast? I did. He's a previous guest. I'll link that in the show notes so people can find yeah, you, if If y'all have not heard Chris, one of the most humble and yet brightest guys I've ever known. And uh, I loved working with him when we were at Lifeway together. So I'm I'm proud of where he is. There you go. So well, I want I want to, I want to just give kudos to him. A little shout out to Chris. Well, that's great. So I want to hear some of your story. Obviously, you know, founder and CEO of Church Answers, and you've worked uh, you know Lifeway in a lot of different places that are very steeped in sort of Christian culture. I'd say, but give us a little more about kind of who you are and where God has you right now. Well, it's, it, it may be good for me just to go all the way back, and I'm not talking about my birth in 1955, which shows how old I am, but I'm talking about my new birth and the fact that the first time I heard the gospel that I understood it was high school football coach, and uh, I became a follower of Christ shortly thereafter, and then um, uh, dropped out of church entirely. Isn't that a great way to become a new Christian well, and just not show up? That well, that is fascinating. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into that with you then. So, right. uh, tell me that story. Like you heard it from the high school football coach. Was it like during practice or like how how'd that go down? He called me into his office. Said he won't talk uh-huh. to me. Oh really? That's it. And Coach Joe Hendrickson, whom I've honored in many any ways and did many different times, and you know, as a 15 year old, which I think I was uh, at the time. Uh, I don't remember everything. I think I remember everything, but sure. that's probably because I've told the story many times. <laughs> but it went something like this. Hey, hey, Rainer, I feel like something is missing in your life. And I remember thinking it was something to do with football practice. And I was trying to think of all my excuses I could have. And then he said, I just think Jesus is missing in your life. Do you mind if I tell you about him? 
That's it. Wow. And he shared the gospel with me. There was no beating around the bush. There was, uh, he was not at all uncomfortable. But uh, uh, later on, within a few days, I became a follower of Christ. So pretty simple. And I found out that there were a lot of football players and others in that school that uh, were influenced by the ministry of Joe Hendrickson. Really fascinating. Okay, so friends, I want to just point this out right right up here, right up front here. You cannot underestimate the influence you can have. Like, I think a lot of us, I certainly got the impression as a kid that I needed to be a pastor or a missionary or something, you know, church-related in order to have an impact and an influence for the Lord. No way, right? Because then what happened, I mean, you ended up being a pastor and serving in all these different places, and your impact is even, you know, even wider it kind of ripples out, doesn't it? Just from some, some your football coach being faithful. And he was, and I'll just give you a current story. Yesterday I had manual physical. So I'm with my doctor who's been my physician for almost 20 years now. And here, here's, here's the thing about Dr. David Allen in Nashville, Tennessee. He considers himself a minister before he considers himself a physician. And he, he, he has a life that is dedicated not only to helping people physically, but in, although he, he he does not come across strong with people who are not Christians, but he certainly acts and has the demeanor of Christ. So here, yeah. high school football coach, highly influential in my life, my good physician, highly influential in my life. Neither one of them in churchy jobs or vocation, mm. similar vocational calling. Amen. Boy, I love that. I think that's so powerful and important. There's dignity in whatever your work is. And you can be, you can serve God in that and just be that light. So that's great. Okay. So you said it was a couple of days later. So what happened? Was there a month? Like, did it, did his words weigh on you or did you like, what, what happened? What changed in a, and why did it take a couple of days? Well, it took a couple of days just simply because I did, I couldn't figure out what was happening to me. Uh, oh. It was called, it's called conviction, but I didn't, I didn't know mm. what conviction was. And uh, I really didn't know. I'm sure he told me how I could become a follower of Christ, but I don't remember the details. So uh, I, two days later, uh, I think it was two days, but somewhere shortly thereafter, I said some kind of prayer. And and it's, it's not just typical, quote unquote, sinner's prayer, but it was, hey, I don't even know what to do, God, but I know that I need you, something to that effect. And I, I know that... Uh, Coach Joe told me that you died for me. Something very simple like mm, that. Yeah. But I was I'm not scared is not the word, but I was uncertain how to articulate what was going on. So I didn't know how to respond. But as soon as I did that, I, you know, I knew. I knew that I knew that I knew. And so I became a follower of Christ, but dropped out of church almost immediately. Okay. Why? What happened? Well, here here's here's what happened. There's no one to blame but me. Uh shortly thereafter, my parents were in a church that split. And I remember all the the stuff that goes with uh, divided churches. And uh, it was mostly a theological issue, but it was a lot of, a lot of personal issues as well. And a lot of things that were said in the small church that should not have been said. And I witnessed it all. And I didn't decide I'm going to protest and leave. I just didn't have a desire to come back. And so I was a Christian for just a few days, a few weeks, dropped out of church, uh, and was and did not get back into church till I got married at uh, age twenty-two. So seven years, seven years, unchurched teenager and young twenty-something. Yeah. What What do you see as the sort of shaping impact for you on your life of that season? The season of which part? Uh, just being out of church, like being being a believer, but then feeling like 
You're just oh, the, not shape, the shaping influence was all bad. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. I, when, when I wasn't around fellow believers that I didn't even understand that phrase, when I wasn't in the accountability of a local church, when I, when I was on my own as this brand new Christian, I was doing things and with people I should not be doing. So my shaping influences were very negative and, and even more so I was a negative shaping influence. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I wish I could say that um, um, I got, I started doing some things, reading the Bible, praying that got me closer. But what I did that got me closer to the Lord was started dating my to-be wife. And 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 she she said something to me to this effect. Again, it's been too long. We've been married 45 years and we dated five. So half a century that she's put up with this one guy. <laughs> so so I, she, she, she basically told me, and not these words, but Tom, I am a follower of Christ, and I believe that I live out my life for Christ in the context of a church in the local community. It's not the only place, but that's important to me. She says, I'm not going to marry you unless you agree that we're going to look for a church after we get married. And, you know, I don't know if it's Jesus or did I just wanted to marry this girl so badly, but one of the two, we yeah. did. Sometimes uh, they're the same thing, aren't they? Like that's, yes, I, yes. I sometimes hear stories from people who are like, I went to church for the girls. Like, that's okay. This is, I, you're, you were a teenager, right? Like whatever. But uh, that, that's, this is how, this is how life works sometimes. And I think the Lord understands our, our uh, drives, right? So he's, he's okay with that. Uh, fascinating. Okay. So your, so it was your wife's influence that made you go, all right, I got to start figuring this out. Yeah, that answers the question that I think you had. Um, yeah, I think it did. So then you started you started uh, diving in. Did you get you got involved in church or what? You eventually became a pastor. So what was that road? Okay, there, I don't want to make this too autobiographical, but uh, I was a fifth generation banker, and so I'd done what my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my great great grandfather had done. I went into banking and had a finance degree from college and did what I was supposed to do. So I was in banking when we got married, started at a bank in Atlanta. And it was during that time that uh, I, that we started going to church and we moved to another town called Anniston, Alabama. And so we started going to church there. I didn't just become an active church member. I came a, and I'm not referring to baptism on this one, but I became an immersed church member. I mean, I, I was so hungry for Christian mm. fellowship. I was so hungry for Bible study with others. I was so hungry for the, the spoken word, the preached word. I mean, I, I, I probably was both my pastor's best church member and his worst one, just <laughs> because I'd bug him to death. I just would bug him to death. And uh, out of that came the next sense of call, which you know, it's hard to define. I call it vocational ministry. It's it's not always a pastor. Uh, that's where I started, but but a sense in a full time Christian vocation. So that's where I went uh, after banking and uh, spent six years at a seminary. That tells you how slow I am. It took me six years to go well, through that. I can relate to that. It took me nine years to get a three year degree. So I'm <laughs> I'm with you on that. Uh, yeah, which exactly. actually was is a good thing. I don't I don't actually think. It's it's a bad thing to take that slow because you need you need that uh, development. But what I hear you saying is that you were, you'd kind of become a believer, dropped out, and really had no discipleship at all. And then when you Zero. found it, you were like, you were hungry, you were thirsty, I you would. were ready for it. I was trying to make up for lost time, even though that metaphor would not have been in my mind at the time. But there was there was so much hunger, and quite frankly. 
I look back on those years and I say, Tom, when I talk to myself, Tom, you need to get back to that same level of hunger. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't need to be just a hunger because you've come through starvation. It needs to be a hunger because you want to get healthier. And and sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah. And that's where I am right now. And and I think that's absolutely normal. I mean, that's so the this is pretty common for that season of life too, and that season of the journey, right? You you dive in and you consume and you do all the things and you're serving. And it sounds like that serving led to a sense of, hey, I think there's more for me here within ministry. And did you get some affirmation from your your church? Ton, tons of tons of affirmation from church members. Uh, you know, really, if if you want to look at how young was I as a Christian, I was probably one to two years old, even though it'd been seven or eight years. But mm-hmm. in terms of maturation, I was one to two. And the church did something. It was a larger church, and they did something that I think probably wasn't that wise. They made me a deacon. When I hardly okay. knew the difference between Genesis and Ephesians. Right. And and but that was kind of the affirmation. They saw something that they thought would play out in a diaconate as a banker, but ultimately it was another, it was another direction. So a lot of affirmation, affirmation that preceded my thoughts is in by a long shot. And then once again, my wife. I mean, I hit the wife jackpot. <laughs> That's I, good. I, I don't I don't know how else to explain it. She is absolutely incredible. Uh, I love her more than I did 50 years ago when we started dating and 45 years ago when we were married. And um, she's just incredible. And when I came home, uh, I I could prolong the story, but I'm going to try to make it quicker. Uh, When I, when as a deacon, I went to visit a five-year-old boy who had just had open heart surgery. Um, And so I went to the hospital and while I was there, they thought he was going to be fine. He flatlined with his parents there and me there. And it was that moment watching a five-year-old mm-hmm. go to heaven, you know, watching that and then them falling on my shoulders that I felt, you know, this is kind of a, this is a picture of some of the things I'm going to be doing as a pastor and others. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, sometimes you look back and say, was it audible? Probably not, but it felt as real as audible, yeah. but I went, I went home and, uh, uh, walked in the door and I, I had been crying and, and, uh, she, she came up and hugged me and she said, I heard about Brian. I'm sorry. I said, well, I got something else to tell you. And she said, Oh, you want to tell me that we're going into ministry? She said, I know that I've already ca- I called the realtor a week ago and told her to be ready. Wow. <laughs> So, so she knew. Does she have a prophetic bent a little bit? Do you think, or she? She just... does. No, no, no. Okay. I don't think. I know. I, I, I know. Uh, if if I wanted to try to get away with something with her, it would not work. She's just <laughs> she she she's wise and she's prophetic in a way. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so that's fascinating. So that was a moment where you just knew you could sense that this is what God was calling you into to to serve people. Absolutely. Uh, to do that. Okay. How did you, so what'd you do? And then you went to school, you went to seminary, you said you crammed it into three, six years. <laughs> well, to my defense, I got a master of divinity and a PhD. So that was. Oh, that's fair. That's lots. That's, that's, you, you did way better than I did, Tom. <laughs> I just got one degree. <laughs> it, it was a long time. Then pastored four churches. And then I went to be, in, a, in an ironic God kind of way, uh, went back to be dean of my alma mater, where I went, had gone to seminary after pastoring the churches. Where did you go? Southern Louisville. Oh, Southern. Oh, yeah. My my buddy went there. He he graduated from there in, I don't know, two thousand eight somewhere in there. 
Well, your buddy's a lot younger than I am. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I was at Li- I was at Lifeway by the time he, he went yeah, yeah. to school there. But my, my 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 pictures on some walls there, so he probably That's wouldn't cool. know who that ugly old guy was. It's a beautiful yeah. campus. It really is. Uh, it really is pretty, and it's a it's an interesting town, Louisville. It is. It is, and we we spent a total of eighteen years there. Twelve as dean, and six <clears> as a student. So it was a major part of our life. Yeah. So yeah. Go seminary. I got. I got to stop talking. You need to ask me no, questions. No, that's good. That's okay. Seminary is an interesting time. What? So one thing I want to know, because um, I'm, I'm gonna, maybe this speeds up, maybe it doesn't, and you can go with it where you want. But one of the questions I like to ask, because eventually I want to get to the book, and I want to save a little bit of time for that. Um, but is a lot of times part of the spiritual journey that I don't think we talk about enough that we that we discuss is. The dark parts, the dark part, the dark side, night of the soul, as John of the Cross called it, right? Spiritual desert, a lot of, you can call it a lot of things. But th- have you had a season like that where you where you felt like maybe God was far away or distant or not talking to you or leading you? And oh, sure. what was that been like? And can you tell us one of those stories? Well, one of the stories would be common with many people. I lost someone who was dear to me, my dad, and he was relatively young, 62 years old. I was still in my 20s at the time, and it was cancer came, cancer killed him. I mean, two months, just like just like that. While I was at seminary, I had no funds to be able to make the 550-mile journey between where he lived in South Alabama and Louisville, Kentucky. But every week, someone would provide funds for my family to have gas to go Mm. there. And I, I was by his bedside every weekend for eight straight uh, weekends, but it was a dark night of the soul. It was, it was like one of those moments where you don't want to say it, but you, you're thinking it and is God, I'm obeying everything you've told me to do. And now look, my dad's leaving mm. me. And and he, he, he was, he was truly my hero. A lot of people say, oh, my parents were my hero, but he was truly my hero and he was my best friend. And so that was, that was one of those uh, dark nights of the soul. Uh, I've been through others. I've been through some where uh, I have been as a pastor of a church, and I cannot believe how some things have unfolded in the church. Every pastor has their stories, but mm-hmm. I have mine. I have mine as well, and those are some of the dark nights of the soul. Another one was the, the another uh, loss, and it was the loss of a grandson. My youngest mm-hmm. son, uh, Jess, lost his son. So those were all dark nights of the soul. Not all of them were deaths. Not all of them were vocational. Yeah. Uh, Uh, And then when I went to be CEO of Lifeway, at the time, it was a very public position. Uh, It's large company then, not now, but large company then. And and almost everything I said or did was dissected, tweeted, posted, criticized. And so I had my moments there as Mm, well. Yeah. I can imagine that being a pretty difficult uh, situation, honestly. It, yes, yes. And some people handle it better than I do. And I don't, <laughs> sure. I don't, I, I, I have both thin skin and I'm an introvert. So that is a terrible combination. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So one of the things that the darkness can do for us is it, it helps us shed some of our identities and the things that we think we need to be. And God can speak to us in those moments to tell us, you know, who he wants us to be or where he's leading us. I'm curious what you've learned about yourself through going through some of those seasons. Like you would hear from a lot of people who've gone through dark nights of the soul. They were definitely refining moments for me. Losing my best friend, my father 
was something that made me a much better pastor. And he mm-hmm. died in March, and I got my first pastorate in April. And it just happened. It just wow. happened. And I, I, I began to have pastoral sympathy because I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy. And this was a compensating issue that allowed me to walk in other people's uh, shoes. Uh, leading a large organization and being a public figure that is subject to praise and criticism, uh, it taught me that I don't have to worry as much about what people think of me because they're going to forget about it even if I don't. And and if I can just simply do what God wants me to do and be a good husband, a good father, and now a good grandfather, that's all that really matters. So those dark nights of the soul in that sense where I felt like there were a lot of critics in my life, uh, just just tell me, look at the things that really matter. I mean, it's Jesus, it's family, and not a whole lot of other things. Yeah, so I think I hear you saying two things. One is empathy, certainly gave you some empathy for people who were suffering. I can't imagine that must have been a hard spot to go into a pastorate while you're still grieving. I mean, because grief can take years sometimes to process. Was that hard or was that like, or did you see that coming, being helpful or being like distracting to you at all? I tend to compartmentalize, which can be good mm-hmm. and and bad. And yeah. when I'm on preaching or when I'm working with someone in the church, I tended to be compartmentalized. But at the end of the day, I'd have to have my moments of crying. Not every day, but many many moments as well. So, yeah, I was still I was still working working through the process, and and uh, I I think I did okay at the church, but uh, I was still hurting a whole lot on the on the inside. Yeah. So. Uh, I think that uh, my preaching was affected by it, uh, and I was a novice preaching. In fact, I've got a blog post coming out, or by the time this uh, uh, th- this podcast is aired, it'll already be out. And it, I'm not going to look up the title, but it's something like this, Why You Should Destroy All of My Cassette Sermons. <laughs> and, I like that. Now, that, that, that's, that tells you what era I was preaching in, cassette yes. sermons. And there are hundreds of them around the house, and they're in boxes and everywhere. And there's one thing I'm very grateful for. One, that there was no recorded streaming when I was preaching. Right. So it's not in that kind of posterity. And two, that hardly anybody wanted my cassettes, and so there are not many of them out there. <laughs> I was I was not a good preacher. I, and so I share in that blog why what preachers can learn, especially young preachers, from all of my bad stuff and I, this isn't false humility. I was a bad preacher. Well, and we have that in common as well. Because, But I actually think preaching is really hard. I think it's much harder than people think. So the people who can do it well um, are, are genuinely gifted because it's not, it's not an intuitive medium. And the amount of content that we expect pastors to create at, at a de- level of depth uh, is really kind of hard. Like it's a lot to ask of somebody. But uh, I think I think I can be a yes, lot. Yes, I have three sons who are ministers, vocational ministers. Two of them are pastors, and I could listen to them all day. I know that there's paternal bias. I understand that, sure. but they are so good, and I I I listen to them, and I'll say, "Where did you learn that? How did you unlearn your dad to learn that?" Because <laughs> <laughs> the comparisons are stark. Yeah. I love that, man. We, we Okay. So one, one last preaching note. Uh, so I was, I spent a week with uh, some friends in Florida. I was at a conference. It's a long story, but 
uh, he was listening to Haddon Robinson. And, you know, Haddon Robinson was here in Denver Seminary where I, where I went, but I didn't have him because I was here after his time. But uh, it was fascinating to listen to him and go, wow, that's, yeah, that is what good good preaching is, right? But I, I didn't catch it. Like, <laughs> I'm curious how pastoring has shaped you and what, and maybe your experience of God. Cause I think maybe this is a part that I don't think we get a lot of insight into. Sometimes we expect pastors to be, you know, we'll say they're human, but we really expect them to be sort of divinely connected to God in a way that most people really aren't. What was your experience uh, like, you know, when you, when you were doing that, I know you've been a pastor and an intern pastor at different, different churches. So do you have any thoughts on that? Well, being a pa- the, the the cliche glass house is so true. Yeah, and it's one thing for the pastor to have the glass house experience, but now it is the entire family has the glass mm-hmm. house experience. And so, if you have kids at home, you're you're going through that. If of course with spouse, you have that situation, and so the glass house is is a very real thing. And now the glass house has an amplifier called social media. Right. And in my in my first four churches, uh, m- maybe MySpace was out, but certainly not Facebook. I can't remember. I mean, right. it's barely it, it was barely internet when when I when I was yeah, yeah. pastoring and before I went to do the interim pastors. And so the the glass house that metaphor is just expanded now. Where everything someone says or does is 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 all over the place, isn't that? And again, internet means everything is preserved. Everything can be shown at some time, and that's why I told you earlier. Thank you, Lord, for not <laughs> letting me preach when there was internet. It would have man. That would have been terrible. I absolutely think that too about high school, man. I cannot imagine some of the stuff. Anyway, it's it's a good thing none of that exists today. Yes, it's absolutely. A good thing. All right. Uh, well, that's so that's interesting. I want to talk a little bit uh, more about church because I know. T- tell me more about what you do uh, with church answers and kind of what your what your goal is with that. Our goal is to help churches get healthier and help church leaders become healthier church leaders. Just as simple as that. Yeah. And that that that's obviously broad, but it's broad by intention. It's broad by design. We love the local church and we love local church leaders. We do some things that focus on the larger congregation, what's typically called the laity, but most of our energy is is focused on the leadership of the church. And so we're we we have several pastors and former pastors at church answers. We've got others as well, but all of us together are asking the question. What is the pastor thinking? What is what is the staff thinking? How can we help life and ministry be better for them? And that's how we create our content. That's how we create many of our resources. Uh, one of our most popular resources is a just it's, it's really just people come into a chat room, and mm-hmm. and and they they start a, they start a topic and others fall in. But it's so safe. We had a pastor tell us two days ago that he just stopped social media altogether and he's spending all of his, his internet fellowship time at church answers because it's a safe place. It's a encouraging, encouraging place. And we have thousands of leaders there and that's, that's, 
these leaders encouraging one another and the us jumping in from time to time and encouraging all of them. That has been one of the most rewarding things we do at Church Answers. That was actually the the, the start of Church Answers, just that. Just mm. We call it Church Answers Central. And we've had a lot of things since then. But started off with here's a community where you can feel safe, you can get answers from peers, and you can get answers from us. Just yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. So what do you find, what do, what do you think that most pastors are needing today? American evangelical church pastors is what I'm referring to, right? So uh, what, what are they needing today that, um, you know, that you're, that you're offering? What are you seeing? Well, the number one request that we have would be in the category or genre of church revitalization. So that's telling you something. Mm-hmm. My church needs to get healthier. Revitalize, of course, means to live again. And so my church needs to get healthier. So when we see someone signing up for our church revitalization certification or they're buying one of our resources that has in the area of church revitalization, that tells us something. And all of the issues were taking place before covid but they've been mm. exacerbated since COVID. And so now we've gone from, I'm, I'm making these numbers up, so don't hold them, 50% of audience saying we really need help to 75, 80% saying we really need help. And so helping in those situations is one of the blessings we have because we, we, we're, we're not the brightest bulbs in the chandelier. But what we have is two out of three Protestant churches in America, North America, Canada, U.S., that that area, contact us at least once a year. Now, that Mm -hmm. contact could be something as simple as listening to a podcast like this one, or it could be purchasing a product. But two-thirds of Protestant churches are communicating with us somehow. So we we got a lot of dots, and those dots are data points, and they help us to connect to let the rest of the church world know what's going on because of the vantage point we have. Yeah. So you're seeing, like, I, I agree with you. I think there were a lot of problems before COVID. COVID. I think COVID revealed a lot of issues, including some really philosophical issues about the church. What What, what do you, uh, about, and how we reach people and how we actually interact with people. What, how do you think, what, what do you think, what are people wrestling with, I guess? And then what do you think is the solution to the fact that most churches are not even two thirds of what they were before COVID at this point? Well, there's so many directions I can take this. The most common thing that they wrestle with at first was the whole digital attendance issue. You know, are you at church when you are not, not in person? And there was a lot of, it was almost consensus that as we came out of COVID and churches started regathering, the, the digital church was going to be the future church. And a lot of churches put a lot of resources into that. And one of the surprises that I've seen since COVID, since regathering, is digital tenants has fallen off the cliff. Mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 we think that in-person attendance is bad, it's great compared to digital attendance. So I have been surprised how rapidly that has happened. And of course, you naturally have church leaders saying, What's going on? What do I do? And then another issue is on the facility side. It used to be, I want to get a design build firm because I want to build another building. Now, I want to get a design build firm because I need to make my worship center sanctuary smaller. Yeah. Because yeah. it feels so vacuous here. And I'll make my fellowship area larger. We we have a, a ministry partnership with a, a group out of Nebraska called Brown Church Development. And they they truly are one of the leading church builders in the world. So we, when they talk, we listen and they, they, they've been telling us 
I don't know if it's nine out of 10, but a high percentage of their inquiries now are reconfiguring, not building. Interesting. Because they're having to change for, okay, so what do you attribute that to? Let me ask you that. What what do you attribute the fact that churches are now smaller than they, than they were before COVID? Cultural Christianity is all but gone. I mean, you live in the Denver area. Cultural Christianity hadn't been strong there for some time. Pockets, yes, in Colorado, I understand that. Yep, Colorado but in Springs. Tennessee, yes, in Colorado Springs, for sure. Uh, Tennessee has been a culturally Christian state, and I define cultural Christianity as people who want to identify with uh, uh, the church, Christ, but they're not Christians, so they're Christian in name only. That's how I identify cultural Christianity. And 20 to 30% by our estimates, maybe a little bit more in some areas, of attendance prior to COVID was cultural Christians. They're the ones that are gone. So we we had this yeah. we had this sense that we had these bigger churches, but we had people who were not followers of Christ. What COVID taught them, especially during the quarantine, was hey, I don't have to be in a church. I'm just fine without it. And they didn't come back. So that's one of the things that's happening. Another thing that's happening is frequency of attendance is going down. And use this scenario: you have 200 church members, they all show up every Sunday. So you have an attendance of 200. If they decide to start showing up every other Sunday, which is pretty active in many churches, the attendance has been cut in half from 200 to hundred, but you right. haven't lost a member and you haven't lost pastoral responsibility for those members. Right. You have less people, less money, the same amount of responsibility. Those are two of the biggest things. Yeah. Interesting. I, I think those are definitely true. There's definitely some people who, who were like, no, I'm not gonna, not gonna go. I think you also have a lot of people who found that the church wasn't serving their needs anymore. Are you finding that at all? Well, certainly because the church was consumer focused. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you have a church that's consumer focused, you can only go so long till someone's going to say it is not meeting my needs. That's not the, I wrote a book several years ago called I am a church member and the reception to it surprised me. It hit number one on the charts and it was just, it's just really surprised me. I could go into a lot of details of that. The book had a very simple thesis. To be a part of a church means that we are to focus on the other church church members, the community, leaders, and we're not to focus on ourselves. A true church member, First Corinthians twelve church member, whose focus is on what do I, how do I function as a part of the body of Christ for the body to be better. A true church member biblically is a First Corinthians thirteen church member who says, "How can I demonstrate love more and more?" And Corinthians is full of problems in the church. But 12 and 13 particularly are seminal and central to the whole idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ in the context of the local church. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I think you're right that there's definitely some um, consumeristic attitudes, I think, on both sides, right? Both from the stage, certainly. I mean, I, I went to a church where, I mean, it seemed like the only thing that mattered was the production that was happening on Sunday. That was it. That was all they really cared about. But you know why? Because they're trying to meet consumer Christianity, and right. you, you you can't keep up with it. You 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 got you got to you got to keep up with Disney if you do that, right? Uh, yeah, and I think that that's an issue, and I don't think it disciples people well. So this is one of the things that I, I it's one of my hobby horses here. Like I think a lot of American evangelical churches, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this because you have much better pulse on it than I do they can only take you so far in your spiritual journey, right? Like they're willing to give you a lot of 
places to show up, places to to help set up chairs and make food and do all, which is all valuable. I'm not saying it's not valuable, but it's not always the it's not the most the deepest thing in people's hearts, right? Where they're ready to serve or wanting to help other people. Uh, and they're willing to take your money, but they're not willing to empower people to do the things, to do something creative, to do something interesting, to do something different. Um, and I think they're losing some people that way. Well, you're, you're talking about the issue of expectations as much as anything. Mm. The, more, the more we expect of people in the church, the more likely the sticky factor will work. And expectations refers to the fact that I believe you, church member, can make a difference in this church doing something meaningful. And I'm going to trust you. And if I need to equip you, I'm going to do that. And you go do something meaningful. That's the issue of expectations. When you look at new members classes for those churches that have them, most of them were focused on information. Here's information about our doctrine, our staff, our church building, et cetera. Very few, very few of these entry point classes talked about expectation. Here's your opportunity to make a difference in this world. Here's how. And hardly any start them on the path of assimilation. Okay, now go do this, and we'll we'll be equipping you on the way. Yeah. And then I think the responsibility of the church leaders as well, right, to those people to empower them. Yep, and that's that is part with expectation should come equipping, empowering. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's missing. I really, I really do. Okay, so I want to talk about because this might be part of part of this conversation is your your new book. Um, which is, I believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the faith, which is really about discipleship, I think, right? Like it's a it's a kind of level of like, let's get the basics down, right? Is what we what led to you wanting to write this book? Well, I wanted to write this book because pastors were asking me, is there something along the lines of a theological book that is quick, relatively easy to read? that can be a, at least an introductory primer for my church members. And when when my publisher, Tyndale, heard this, they said, yeah, Tom, you don't write in a way that is, you, you're, you're not going to be this famous writer because you, you have such magnificent <laughs> prose. I write pithy and quick, and sh- my, my writing style is, if, if I've written 25,000 words, I'm done. Well, most people will do 60, 70,000 words. Right. And and so with the demand that we were hearing from the pastors for their church members and then Tyndale saying, you know, there are a lot of good theologians out there, much smarter than Rainer. And there's some concise theologi- theologies out there, much smarter than Rainer. But we think Rainer can talk to the church people and to the leaders in the common vernacular, maybe unlike others. So it's, 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 to, to say it's an oversimplified book would not be correct, but maybe just to say we're listening to pastors about how they communicate to their church members, and mm-hmm. that's where the theology comes from. That's why we say it's an I believe book. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. So it sounds like pastors were telling you, hey, we need people to to understand the basics of just like basic Christian theology. Yes. Um, and they're, they're having a hard time teaching that, it sounds like. Is there a connection between that difficulty that they're, that they're feeling and the methods that they use to teach these, these kinds of things? Well, I don't know what the methods would be. So you would have, you well, would have I think, to help. I think primarily, at least in my, in my experience, the, the main thing people, pastors want is for you to be in church, for you to show up. And I'm not denigrating it. That's important. But I don't think even 
I think there's more to it, right? So like a, a Sunday sermon is not going to be enough to to really impart some of these these beliefs, right? I had to go to college to learn how to study the Bible, right? Like uh, that's what I got a degree in biblical studies, right? So that, but that's a whole different level. But is there more to, is, is there a connection between those two things, do you think? So I, I would say, yes, there is a connection to those two things. And I would say that basic doctrine is the foundation for all of those things. And what we were hearing is that we were expecting church members to act like spiritually mature Christians when they did not fully understand what a spiritually mature Christian was. Yes. How can you say you need to be a great commission Christian unless you truly understand the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of exclusivity, the doctrine of the atonement, those doctrines? How, 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 can, how can you say that you're supposed to serve in the name of Christ until you have studied what Christ was like, basic Christology? How can you say that uh, we, 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 we make a difference in this world because we were created in his image until you understand what it means to be a part of God's image? Those are things that once people understand it in the head, it mm. goes from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, and they begin doing it. And that's the purpose of the book is here is something quick. Here's something that you can do. Now, I, I want to park on something that you said, Eric, that um, I'll take two minutes on. Yeah, we do. But we do believe the pedagogy can be improved. And that's not because we know it better. It's because pastors are telling us we need something different. And so uh, forgive me for the shameless plug, but in, in April, we're introducing Church Equip. And Church Equip is a form of training for the church member that comes alongside the pastor and other leaders of the church, but it allows them to equip within the church, but outside the church as well. It has, in other words, video components and things like that to it. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're going to be hitting on some of the areas that pastors and other leaders have told us are some of the biggest voids in equipping. And so... Just, just be on the lookout for what, church whip. I'm interested in that. What are some of the biggest voids that you're hearing from pastors? On the practical side, just on the practical side, my people do not know how to share their faith. They do not know. Mm -hmm. And even if they do know, they don't understand the context in which to do so. So we're hearing a lot about evangelism. So that is, you know, that's, that's going to be one of the things that's there. Okay. Uh, another equipping module is our people don't understand the grand narrative of scripture. Mm -hmm. They might understand parts of the scripture, but they don't understand how it all fits together or the whole. So one of our equipping modules is understanding the Bible as a whole, uh, that. which which is what my son Sam wrote the book that accompanies that accompanies that. So we we have what we have been doing. We hope to have before it's all said and done 50, 100, 150 different modules as we hear. But what we're trying to do is find out where the need is the greatest to have this type of pedagogy and this type of instrument. And we'll mm -hmm. be releasing that first and then we'll bring others soon. Well, I love that. I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. I, so my contention is I think that again, I'm not denigrating church. I'm grateful to everybody who is who who preaches and leads and all those things, but it's not enough. And it's not really the way that people learn anymore, right? You need to create something. You need to talk, talk it out. And sometimes I need to say things that are just inaccurate in order for me to go, Oh, is that true? Is that really a thing that it, no, I shouldn't say that. I don't believe that. That's not right. You know what I mean? Yes. And we need to create spaces for people to have those conversations. Um, 
in order to grow. And I just don't, I, my experience has not been in the American lo- local church that that's safe to do at all. And so I would love to hear and see a place where we're able to do that and to people can move beyond just, Hey, show up and serve or show up and sit and show up and listen to show up and interact, show up and discuss, show up and, you know, see where God takes it and see, you know, to, to do more. Seven years ago, six years ago, I made a commitment that with only a few exceptions, I was not going to accept any Sunday preaching engagements. One of the reasons I did it, I thought it was best for the kingdom if I shut my mouth up and didn't try to preach again. But another reason I did it is I wanted to be a church member. Uh, I could fill my calendar. I have in the past being gone almost every Sunday. And therefore I yep. was not a church member. That's one of the reasons that little book, I'm a church member came out as it did. And so I became a church member in the fullest sense of the word. And as it would stand, two of my sons are my pastors. That may be bad ecclesiology <laughs> to have membership in two churches, but I, I live part of the year in Bradenton, Florida. And I live part of the year in Franklin, Tennessee. And one son, and he happens to have a wife and grandchildren that we would like to see as well. And then the other son, wife, and our, our grandchildren are in Tennessee. So I have become a church member. I got to tell you, it is one of the most fulfilling things of my life mm-hmm. because I am trying to live out how can I do for others instead of asking how the church can do for me? I don't get it perfectly, yeah. but that mi- that mindset has changed my life. And then I think my sons are just good pastors and preachers, and that's been fun too. I and then that. thirdly, it makes my wife happy. Which is good. That's always a good thing. Always good. I like that. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, I appreciate that you're that you're creating these resources and helping. I'm really interested to see uh, Church Equip. I think that'll be great. Um, I, it's these times are different, right? I think it is, it is new and the information, it used to be that you needed your pastor to give you the information because it wasn't out there, but you can find anything, anything I learned in school, all these books back here, you can find on the internet. You can learn any of it that you want, um, however you want, but the formation and the, the, you know, digging into, you know, and the relationships, you can't get that anyplace else. And we need that at, right. at our local church, but we need our pastors to take that seriously and to think that that's the part of their job. Got it. Yep, for sure. Love that. Uh, awesome. Well, Tom, I appreciate you just sharing a little bit of your story here and sharing what you're doing with Church Answers. I think that's uh, super great. I hope I, I'm going to definitely keep in touch with all of that. Is there, um, besides getting the book, is there anything else that you want to leave us with that you want to just share? And I'll, I'll uh, share where people can well, find you. you. You, you can put where they can find me, churchanswers.com. That's the easy part. And then uh, beginning in, I can't ever remember if it's April or May. I should have some of my team here to keep me informed. <laughs> That's all right. In April or May, churchequip.com will go live. That's great. All right. So, friends, that'll be right around when this is coming out. So if you're listening to it in the first couple of weeks, you can find it. But otherwise, as always, just go out to churchanswers.com as well. And if you're driving, doing the dishes or cooking dinner that's about to burn, you can always go to Halfway There Podcast as well. You don't have to remember it. it all, everything that I've got is at uh, that website linked up so that it's quick and easy for you to find. Tom, thanks for being here. I really do appreciate it. For, I appreciate you and your ministry. Thanks, Eric. My pleasure.